Okay, so this is another episode of See Me Be Thinks. It's a series of random topics. I have two I want to talk about. I don't really know how this is going to work out. Uh, Dave has decided to take residence upon the desk. I have. He's sitting on my notepad, staring sort of at me, and then he's closing his eyes. I think he's tired. So I'm a little confused as to where we're going to go with this. Weirdly, the first thing I wanted to talk about was sleep. I am so distracted by Dave just sitting here, though. I don't know if I can do this. I think I'm going to have to move him off the desk. Oh, This is what I was thinking is going to happen. Every time I get started, he's going to move. So I don't sleep well. And that is, I think, a pretty common problem. And one of the reasons I don't sleep well is because I'm very mentally active when I go to bed. And what I'm doing is reviewing or predicting conversations and or arguments I'm going to have or have had. Uh, things I could have said, things I would have said, things that if I have this kind of conflict that I should say, and you go through all the variations of the the things they could say and what you could say back. And basically, you're upset or annoyed about something and your brain won't calm down. Now, I've learned a technique where you lie in bed and you count your breaths. And you count your breaths, so you go, one. And you just keep doing that. Uh, and then every time you have a thought intrudes, you acknowledge that thought and you let it go. And I tried it and it kind of worked, but it was never really as successful as I thought it was supposed to be. And I realized what I really needed to do was almost the opposite of what I was being told. What I was being told is to calm my mind. I needed to accept and acknowledge these thoughts and then release them and, and like free them so that uh, they wouldn't be overwhelming me emotionally anymore. And then what I realized is the way my brain works is I need a task to complete or I need to be active to be able to block out those thoughts. So I have these thoughts and what I'm doing is something. I'm, I'm trying to predict the various possibilities within a conversation that might happen in the future. That's usually what's happening is someone's pissed me off and I think about confronting them and I think about what they could say and what I could say. That is a very normal thing for people to do. The problem with that is it goes around in a circle. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I was like, I got to break the circle. And the breathing, having that thought intrude again, and then just acknowledging it, releasing it, wasn't enough. It wasn't successful. So I, can't, I, I was like, what I need to do is come up with something, a task that I could complete while I'm in bed trying to relax uh, that would give me something to do. And so what I did, I was like, okay, well, I'm lying in bed. The first thing I was doing was a sequence, and it's what is, like, like kind of take stock of my body, and what can I do to make myself more comfortable? And what I noticed was when I'm thinking, I often would ball up my hand into a fist. Now, it's not really tight or anything, but that's a form of tension. So I would relax my hands, open my hands, rest the palm of my hand down on the bed on flat. Or, quite often, what I do is put them on my chest, uh, like a mummy or a vampire who's in his coffin. And that's the first thing. So my hands are more relaxed. Okay, what about my feet? And I realized my toes. Sometimes, you know, when the covers are tight, your toes are pushed down. It's like, well, there, that's not relaxed. So I would push, like loosen up the blankets and uh, push, put my feet in a position that was relaxed, lying on my back with my hands on my chest. Okay, so that's two things that have been proved. Okay, now let's start feeling through our body. Uh, is there any draft? So let's say there's a little bit, oh, my shirt isn't tight. I can, I can move my shirt down. It's become a little, this, and get a little cold air on my back or pull the cover over and sort of tuck myself in a little more. 
These were all things that were taking away slightly negative elements of my state and trying to make improvements. And then I would do like kind of taking stock of my body. I always have a lot of injuries and stuff. So like, does anything hurt? Does my foot hurt? Does my knee hurt? Uh, Does my neck hurt or my shoulder? Can I stretch it a little bit? Can I do something to make it relax more? And then that was, again, trying to make small improvements to my current situation. And during this, I've improved my comfort and I've tried to relax my body. So I'm starting to feel better. Then the final phase, if I haven't already fallen asleep, is... I start to take stock of what feels good. So like, oh, my shoulders have been pushed against the bed and the covers are across my shoulders. My shoulders, the back of my shoulders are very warm. That feels nice. It's sort of a, a warmth that's radiating through my shoulders. And that's that's good. And then my hands across my chest like a mummy. Uh, they're actually making my chest warmer. So that's actually, you know, sort of a double impact. And as I'm taking stock of that, I'm getting more and more relaxed. So I'm trying to improve my situation and do something actively to try to make myself feel better. And I found this has been more successful. Now, I think just like the count your breaths probably works for a lot of people, that didn't work for me. This technique that I have created myself works for me. It may not work for anyone else. But if you are struggling and you're doing something similar, like you are having that conversation go around and around in your head and you're trying to do something relaxed and you can't, this might be a technique to do it. Because what I'm really doing is displacing that fake conversation. And I mean, nine times out of 10, you never have that confrontational conversation anyway. So it's almost a pointless exercise. It is worth, it gives you something to do to displace that pointless energy usage that becomes useful, becomes energy with a point. And I thought like, this has been really successful for me for the last couple weeks. I don't know when I came upon it. I just started, was in bed and I was actually like, oh, my knee hurts and stuff. And I was like trying to stretch out my leg and foot and try to relax my knee. And then it just became like, well, let's do a whole body inventory. And that, I started doing it almost every night. And it's been quite a successful thing for me. Now, again, I'm actually thinking if I do the same thing every night for weeks and weeks and weeks, I'm going to have to change it or actually like almost up the difficulty or I'm going to get bored with it. But for now, something like that, it's been really helpful for me. And I thought it would be really, it's counterintuitive to meditation, I think, because meditation is always like, let it go, release it. And I'm actually like, no, find something else to hold on to and make that happen. And that's actually better. Hopefully someone out there in the world would actually find that useful and can do it. And everyone's life will get better. Your life anyways. I'm way off today. Uh, I got my vaccine on Sunday, Monday was crap, and today I feel, I don't feel bad, but I don't feel good either. So uh, my, I recorded Ninja News Japan this morning, and it, it just wasn't good, to be honest. It was a really poor episode, and my brain isn't particularly functional. But I did come across a story that I, I found out about, and it explains a lot of what I've seen in the last little while. So I've had a, a weird obsession with Steven Seagal. It's actually increased over the last like five years where I now get his movies knowing I'm going to hate them so I can hate them even more. And then one of the primary complaints, I'm like, he's not even in this movie. And then something else I noticed, I downloaded a Liam Neeson movie. (sighs) Dark something. Liam Neeson at least was the star of the film. He was actually in the film, but I've noticed his career is taking a trajectory where the movies he's making are not 
suited to him anymore. Liam Neeson is almost 70. He's like 69 right now. And I, he used to be a boxer, so he knows how to punch and block and stuff. But uh, when you get to a certain age, running isn't as cool as it used to be. The Irishman I watched out of more of a curiosity than a desire to see a good film. And they did all that like facial CG to make them look young. But one of the things they couldn't do was change the way a 70-year-old man runs. So they had this guy with a 25, 30-year-old face running like a 70-year-old man when he ran out of the store. And that was the moment I was like, this is not how this should be done. They should get two actors, a young actor and an old actor, and just split the role that way. Digitally making actors young is not going to work out because you're not going to be able to digitally alter their gait. Or if you do, you're now getting to the point where there's no need for the actor to be there anymore. They could just do the voice. But these Steven Seagal movies have been shocking. Like he's only, I watched Against the Dark. Now in the movie Against the Dark, I kept track of how long he was in it and he was in it for less than 10 minutes. I believe the number I came up with was about seven minutes in total. He was dropped in interspersed throughout the film. He was in the beginning. He like would come walk down a hallway. He would say a couple of things. Uh, and then he did a couple of like fake fights, like not even like high effort. They were really low effort fights where he would do sort of his slappy thing. Uh, he would hit someone, shoot someone or, or, or like pretend to sword fight for about eight seconds. Clearly no actual like blocking or choreography or anything like that. And then I read this story about Bruce Willis. Now, Bruce Willis has taken a similar route. I've actually seen a couple of Bruce Willis films where he doesn't seem to really be in the movie, but this is on purpose, which I didn't realize. There is a producer in Hollywood called Randall Emmett, and he has come up with a formula to mass produce movies. Basically what he does is he gets an actor with a name. So we have Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis last year made 29 movies. And in those 29 movies, uh, 23 or 4 of them are like straight to DVD. I actually think maybe all of them are straight to DVD, but they were talking about like more than 20 have like almost a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. They're that bad. And then he's in them for a set amount of time, which is usually, again, less than 10 minutes. So that's when I realized that this formula actually holds. So you get this guy, Randall Emmett, gets people like, in the list is uh, John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Bruce Willis, and Steven Seagal. And he will pay them a million dollars for about two, maybe three days worth of work. And in those two or three days, they will be in the beginning, a scene in the beginning, a scene in the middle, and a scene at the end of the film. And that way they're in the whole film and they can put their face on the poster. They become the star despite being in the film for less than 10 minutes, it being probably a 90-minute film. Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill. Sorry, not Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill, I believe, was a Steven Seagal film. Hard to Kill is a Bruce Willis film. In that, he was in the film for seven minutes. And I didn't watch it. I almost downloaded this movie. I'm not pirating. Legitimately downloaded off the internet. But then I also kind of knew what I was getting. I knew it was going to be one of these really, really garbage films where he isn't actually in the movie. But now it makes sense because you're getting a million dollars for two or three days worth of work. It's worth doing. And then we all know, like, Nicolas Cage 
went insane with his money. And Bruce Willis was at one time the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And he's not... Okay. I, 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 it means it means... I get to the point where I start thinking about money. And when you get to $20 million per film or millions of dollars that you've earned, how is it you fall in these dire straits? Because you actually hear about this kind of stuff all the time where these incredibly rich people have gotten into so much trouble because they don't pay their taxes or something. Kevin Hart, I'm not a massive fan, but he said some really smart and interesting things because he says he takes every paycheck that he gets he takes 50% of that and he puts it in a separate bank account because that's going to go to taxes. So that other 50% is his actual income, his actual money. So he has two bank accounts. Like I'm sure he has more than that, but he has two main bank accounts. He has one explicitly for the IRS. So he's never going to get in trouble with the IRS. So as he's built his fortune, he knows what his real funds are. He's not going to actually accidentally overspend that. Nicholas Cage did. He went insane with his money. Bruce Willis, I don't know if he's in any financial straits, but he clearly does not give a shit about his career anymore. Steven Seagal, he's not trying in any way to do anything realistic or impressive. I mean, he, he gave up pretty early on. That's probably why I globbed onto him, but I also because he's a martial artist, and I never really had any respect for him in the first place. Bruce Willis has made some good films, and I think it's one of those things, it's actually sad to see someone of who was a good movie star kind of fall to such a low point. And Liam Neeson, it's been like 20 years since Taken, and the movies he's making now are just trash. And I'm wondering what's happening more than anything else with his accent, because it doesn't seem to be, they don't, they haven't decided for him to go full American accent, but they also haven't decided whether or not he can do uh, an Irish accent and just let it go. These movies, so why are they making them? So clearly, first of all, you don't have to care about your reputation or career. So in a weird way, you have to already be established. But if you need a quick payoff, these movies could be made in weeks instead of years. So if you think about uh, The Last Duel. So all those people in, the, in it, it was Matt Damon, Adam Driver. I was thinking Batman, the, the old, the, the more, not new Batman, not Twilight Batman, uh, Justice League Batman, Ben Affleck. <laughs> I almost said uh, Jason Bourne, Batman, and Kylo Ren. They are all really high-paid actors. And this movie took a long time to make, and they had to put like months of work into it, and it was a disaster financially. And the director was a bit of a dick. And he's saying, like, these millennials don't want to see historical movies anymore. Uh, they don't know what art is and that stuff. He's blaming the audience. But I think maybe the pandemic had a big effect on it. There was zero advertising campaign that I saw. I actually watched the movie because I was more interested in, is this as much of a tragedy as everyone made it out to be? Why was it a financial failure? It was quite an entertaining film. I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, it's a bit hard to recommend, but if you're into that kind of stuff, like it's a retelling of the same story three times from three different perspectives, and it's really good, the subtle changes they make. So I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really good. I don't think it had anything to do with millennials not wanting to see historical dramas. I think maybe the advertising wasn't clear and the message wasn't out there. And there is the question of, was this worth the millions and millions of dollars you put into it? So if I need a quick paycheck, 
So Matt Damon probably doesn't, but let's say I'm a fallen star like Bruce Willis or Steven Seagal, and I need to make as much money as possible. Well, two days of my time, and I will get a million dollars, and how and that movie will come out in the next couple months, which means I get paid. And how many times can I do that in a year? Bruce Willis did 20-some movies last year, which means he was getting 20 to $30 million for that year income doing barely any work. And the residuals, so it's, it's like that's the kind of thing that's actually going to pay off. Royalties, I mean, not residuals. Uh, because these are straight-to-DVD movies and they sell primarily in other countries, because you see Bruce Willis's face on it, you're a Bruce Willis fan, you go rent this movie. He's in it for seven minutes, but... He, Bruce Willis already got your money and Randall Emmett, he already got his money. They don't care whether you like the film or not. Uh, they're doing they're doing this to produce them as quickly as humanly possible. And that explains this, this through line of terrible movies and how they're getting made. Because it used to be, I think, movies were bad because they didn't have the actors or they didn't have the money to do like the effects or uh, they didn't have the ability to make the film. And so I used to judge movies a lot on did the filmmakers achieve what they intended to do? And then I would think about what would they have needed to actually achieve it? So it's like a cheap horror movies were kind of the standard for me for a long time because they were always pretty poor. But did they have a good story? Were the actors okay? Maybe they needed more money for effects, something like that. And you could be pretty forgiving of those films. But these movies now are made by Steven Seagal and Bruce Willis. They are unforgivable because they're not, there's nothing they actually want to do other than make a film that gets out there that almost tricks people into buying it. The first experience I had with this, something like this, actually came from Asian movies. And it was uh, Chow Yun Fat made a, a two or three films called God of Gamblers, which was him. Uh, he always did some kind of trick to, to I don't know if it was cheating. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And then there was gunfights. And they, they were good movies. They were very Hong Kong films. There was a lot of jumping around shooting. And then there was like tense scenes where people would sit at poker tables and play poker. And I really enjoyed them. And then I got God of Gambler 4 swapped out the Chow Yun Fat. Because he wasn't in it anymore. They got some new guy. He was young. And it was all right. Like, I wouldn't say it was a good movie. It was all right. And then we got to the fifth one. And the fifth one on the cover had a picture of Chow Yun Fat. And I was like, oh, they've brought Chow Yun Fat back. It's going to be a really good movie because he, he is a really good actor. And then I watched the film. And the very last scene was the new hero turning around and waving or saying hello. And then they cut in a scene of a different film from Chow Yun-Fat where he turned back and like was like, you're the god of gambler now and then walked away. So he didn't actually even show up for the film. They must have, I, I don't know, probably in China, it doesn't matter. They didn't like license his name or anything. And then Jackie Chan films. There was a bunch of Jackie Chan films that did the same thing where he was in it for about three, four minutes, but they had his face on the cover. And I realized that's where it started for me. That was probably 15, 20 years previous to this. So Randall Emmett, probably saw these films, came up with the formula, tried to, and then essentially patented it and started making these movies, making movie, making movie, making movie. And then he got bigger and bigger stars. Because John Travolta, he went through sort of a renaissance where he came back for a while, but it was weird to see Robert De Niro in shit movies for a very long time. 
Now, I don't know if he's in financial trouble. I actually guess everyone who does this is. Because to me, you're giving up all integrity you ever had for a quick buck. You must be doing that for a reason. I thought, like, is there any good point to these films? And I thought there is only one possible upside, and that's young actors could get into a movie and have their name connected to someone who is a big name so that they get in front of other people. So, like, because these are 90-minute movies and the, the famous name is only in it for 10 minutes, you need someone else who's actually the lead character. Well, that's great because that actor then at least gets the chance to be the lead. They don't get credit as the lead, but they actually get to be the lead in a movie and people might see it and then hopefully see them and that sort of improves the resume. So maybe we get some stars out of this, but I actually bet Randall Emmett and the stars don't want some other actor overshadowing them. I'm guessing. I now kind of want to see Hard Kill. But I know he's. I know Bruce Willis is in it for the, the beginning, middle, and end for one scene that total seven minutes. And they're in. They're they're filming for two days. So I'm wondering how many takes they have to do. I have a lot of questions about sort of the backbone, uh, the the sort of nitty gritty of how this works, because these guys used to be good, except for Steven Seagal. He was never good. I'm very torn. Anyways, should you see a film? and you, you're surprised that the star is in it, now I think it would be fair, start looking, was it produced by one Randall Emmett? And if it has, I think now we've seen, uh, it's a new way to learn how to avoid films. If a film has been produced by Randall Emmett, I think that is a film worth missing if you are given the opportunity. <laughs> 